Okay, so like I said, God the gospel and New Year's resolutions. Um, no, it's... Click us on, Tim, please. Thank you. There we go. So, just around your kind of little use of chairs, or J, ever chair, as that one is there, I want you to just quickly discuss these three questions. So, uh, who made a resolution, New Year's resolution this year among, among you? What was it and how long did you keep it for? Um, you could still be keeping it, but you may not be. So, just for two minutes, have a quick chat with those people around you about those three questions, and then we'll have a little bit of feedback um, and see what people have been up to. Okay, should we, um, should we see what people have got? I'm aware some groups are bigger than others. Some people talk more than others. So uh, let's see what people have thought. So who made... Let's just do that by straw poll. Who made a New Year's resolution this year? Anyone? Or a few people? You weren't sure about making one? Okay. Okay, so what New Year's resolutions uh, have people made this year or previously? Okay. Not to drink iron brew. Okay. Not to drink iron brew. For a Scottish person, that is like not breathing. Um, yeah. Wow. That's a good challenge. Anyone else want to, to share what they set them? St- Tim. Okay. So your aim was your resolution going to run the park run on Saturday morning each week, but you didn't manage it yesterday. Is that the first one you've missed? Okay. Oh, well, so you did all right up until then. So, for three weeks. That was very good. Um, anybody else have any they wanted to, or are willing to share? Or, anybody else in the groups that you're willing to share on their behalf? Um, that's absolutely fine. Um, no, I think we'll leave that. <laughs> okay, so Tim said he managed to keep his for about three weeks. What, has anyone got a record of New Year's resolution that they have previously kept for any longer than three weeks? You know, what is the longest you've kept a New Year's resolution for? No. <laughs> well, I, I did a little bit of research on having a look at... Well, the, firstly, I looked at the top ten New Year's resolutions for this year. Have you got any idea what they might be? Stop smoking, Stop smoking is in there. At Is it? I'm going to... Sort of give, give you that one. Uh, oh, no, it's there. Number seven, quit smoking. Very good. Number seven. No chocolate. Um, could be under lose weight, number one. Or um, stay fit and healthy, number five. Any other ideas what there might be in the, t- in the top ten? That could be in the staying fit and healthy. I think they've probably tried to put them under nice big titles so they could make it easier to... to do them. So I'll, I'll give you number one was lose weight. Number two, getting organised. Three, spend less, save more. Four, enjoy life to the fullest. Um, fullest has a capital F, so I don't know where that is. <laughs> Staying fit and healthy. Number six was learn something exciting. Number seven was quit smoking. Number eight is Help others in their dreams. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've seen the film Inception, but I'm pretty sure that is the only way I could help somebody in their actual dream. Um, so, anyway, that's, yeah. 
However that works, that's fine. Uh, number nine was fall in love. And again, love has a capital. So if it's a place, you could do that. Um, and number ten, spend more time with family. Oh, that's a nice one. So they're the top ten New Year's resolutions made this year. Um, and actually, I'll see if it's on the slide. Okay. Oh, so that's that bit there. So what percentage of people do you think make New Year's resolutions? About half. It's not about half. It's pretty much bang on. It's like 48%. So very good. So it's about half half the people make New Year's resolutions. Okay, so about those half people, not like from the waist up, but one in two-ish, how many of them do you think achieve their New Year's resolutions? 1%? Seven percent, or, or do you mean just seven of them? <laughs> just seven of them. Seven percent. That is pretty close. It's eight percent. Apparently, eight percent of those half people who make New Year's resolutions actually achieve what they set out to do. Um, the vast majority don't make it beyond a month. Uh, so, yeah, that's quite impressive. And there it says the facts state that boys are better than girls. Which I have put a little asterisk next to because I thought I'd rather not get mobbed afterwards to state that at achieving their New Year's resolutions. Um, I mean, there probably are other other areas as well where boys are better than girls, but there are equally also in the area of fairness areas where girls are better than boys. Uh, Finding things, for instance. Um, So, so that's yeah. I thought it was just quite interesting. A lot of kind of self-improvement things, um, spend less, save more. That's always what people aim to do, isn't it? And then so, so actually, so where does this whole idea of having a New Year's resolution come from? And I'm not 100% sure that this is exactly where it comes from, but there's some history that goes behind it. So a real long time ago, in, in the Babylonian, which is 600-ish BC, got a nod from Jai, that must be good, um, they would promise to the god... Yaos, or however you pronounce that, that they would return borrowed property and repay their debts. Now, I just thought this would be a good time to mention to you, uh, if you owe me money or have borrowed anything, <laughs> please act like a Babylonian and give it back. Um, the, the Romans used to promise things to Janus, or Janus, uh, the god after whom January is named, at the beginning of the year. And then lastly, this was interesting, at the beginning of the year, after the kind of Christmas time, the knights would reaffirm their peacock vow, which is their kind of vow to chivalry, being a knight, so they would not, you know, stab people in the back um, unless they were already aware that they were in a fight or, you know, polish their armour or whatever it was that the peacock vow said. So a knight would regularly reaffirm their peacock vow at the beginning of the year. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was just quite interesting that they have an odd history. Whether they're actually directly linked or not, I'm not 100% sure. But I also think that the beginning of a new year, it's a good time for looking back in different reasons. And I think we probably do this when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions. We think, actually, what things went on last year that weren't brilliant? What can I then try and change this year to make it better for next year? But I thought also, you can look back and you can say, it's a good time of year to look back and see what you've enjoyed. If you look back to last year, you can, at the end of the year, you can think, what did I really enjoy last year? What was really good what can I celebrate about last year? Um, so yeah, I mean, people will probably have different things. They'll look back and think, you know, that was just a really, really exciting thing that happened last year. 
uh, look back at what you've achieved. You know, things that have, you know, you've actually think, oh, I've made a difference. I've actually achieved something there where I hadn't before. And I was looking back and thinking, that, thinking about these earlier on, and so actually, on kind of both of those, the top two, it's quite nice to be able to look back at last year for me and think, actually, something that I've enjoyed is Hannah graduating from uni, and for her, she has achieved uh, another degree and got a job. So those are things that I'm really, I've really enjoyed both of those. That, uh, she's not having to commute to Leeds all the time, and now she's achieved a wage. Um, and that's brilliant. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really good. But it's also a time of year when we can look back and think at what we've not achieved. So this time next year, we'll be able to look back and think, actually, I didn't achieve my New Year's resolution because so far we've pretty much all failed. My plan, I didn't tell you this actually, my plan was to try and read the Bible in three months. So that's apparently it's like 12, depending on your Bible you've got obviously, it's about 12 pages a day. There's loads of words on a Bible page. Um, and I'm currently a couple of days behind. So you've got to read kind of 12 or 13 chapters a day to keep up with it. So I'm a couple of days behind and that's going to, it's very difficult to catch up when it's, if you miss a day, it's 12 chapters. Um, so yeah, I'm a few days behind on that. So I've not achieved what I set out to do. But maybe in four months I'll have finished it. So I can look back and think I've not actually achieved that. We can also look back and think of the things that went horribly wrong, things that you know, we would never want to happen again. Which is the one, isn't it? Sometimes bad things do happen in a year, and it's a good time to look back and think, actually, what is it that led to those situations? What can I do that will be different so that they hopefully won't happen again? And we can look, it's a good time of year to think, let's look back and see what we'd like to change going forward into this kind of fresh new year. What would we like to be different? Um, there's all sorts of things we could put into those categories, and they'd kind of all be different depending on who we are. But as I was thinking about that, and I feel it's also getting a little bit depressing at this point, so I'm going to lighten the mood in a moment, just to give you some hope for the future. Um, but as we look at those ideas, the big picture, as that really is, that we are a people who live in a broken world. Things sometimes are upsetting. Sometimes things happen that we think that's just not right. It's almost like in our lives, our, our bodies are set with a compass in them, and it says, that is north, but the world's pointing in a slightly different direction. It's kind of, things should be like this, but they're not, they're like this. We live in a broken world where, where bad things happen, where you know, all sorts of natural catastrophes happen all through the year, and we think it shouldn't be like that. But we also know that people have broken lives. Not only is the world a bit broken, but we're a bit broken as well. We look back and think, I wish I hadn't done X, Y, and Z. I wish, you know, we might know people who this last year who have suffered really badly from illness or have got divorced or lost members of their family. People have broken lives. But as we look back even further to last year's New Year's resolutions, we can realise that actually I've failed to fix my broken life because I can't even achieve the simple goals that I've set myself, like reading 12 chapters a day of the Bible or um, you know, getting up and going for a run once a week or whatever it is. Um, we just look back and we think, actually, I've failed to achieve the things that I've set myself. Um, so like I said, that's a little bit depressing. And I get these presentation outlines from a website called prezi.com. Hopefully they'll listen and send me something free now that I've said that. Um, and it had a space next in the presentation for some pictures. And I thought, I couldn't think of anything appropriate to put in. Um, but the photos themselves aren't inappropriate. They're things I've enjoyed over the last year. Here we go. Bonfire nights. I just put the pictures in because there was a space for them. So these are just for, to, you know, for you to enjoy and lighten the mood a little bit. Bonfire nights. Uh, they... Ah, fireworks. <laughs> this next one. 
We went on a walk, and Hannah took my picture on top of a rock. Um, I don't know where that is, but it's lovely. Uh, could have done with a haircut at the time. And lastly, these are either some very tiny plant pots or a very, very large 20p. Um, but like I said, there was just some space in there for some pictures, so I thought I'd throw them in. Because uh, I thought, oh, I can't bother to delete them. It'll make a bit of a mess of what I was looking at. So, um, Yes, yeah, a giant pin is falling from the sky and it's about to impale me into that rock. Yeah, just. Yeah, when we look back, it was like Excalibur. Yeah. People from Staples are trying to pull out the biggest pin they've ever seen. Um, so yeah, tiny plant pots. They're actually tiny plant pots, if you're interested. Okay, so I thought, actually, what does the Bible have to say about the broken world that we live in? Um, but actually, the Bible does have some good things to say as well. The Bible does say that we can achieve some really, really great things. You know, you read through the story of the Bible and people in the Bible did achieve some amazing things. However, there will always be a bit of room for improvement. There's a verse in the Bible that says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've not all made it to that kind of state of perfection that we would like to think we could achieve. So there's always a bit of room for improvement. But the Bible also teaches that we are broken people. That we're not kind of 100% like perfectly well-made human beings because, you know, we've got dodgy knees, bad backs, some people's hair falls out, some people's just keeps on growing. Um, We live in a broken world where things aren't just how we think they should be. But we all pretty much agree on how the world should be. It's like there's something, there's like a compass built into us that says it should be like this. And we pretty much all agree on what it should be like. And I want to just dwell on this next thought now for you which is that I think the Bible has a way of explaining this, which is good. There are two big families in the Bible. There's not, and by that I don't mean that God has forgotten about kind of the Proctor family or forgotten about the Jones family, which could almost be one of the big Bible families. There's so many of them. Um, he's not, not saying that. The Bible has those two big families in the Bible. And these two families have two heads of the families. These are kind of the, the fathers of these two big families. And the two families are the family of Adam and the family of Jesus. And the Bible says that you're in one family or the other. You, don't, you can't live outside of the families. You're either in one or you're in the other. And you can't be in both. You can't have like be half Adam and half Jesus family. But you're either fully in one or fully in the other. You're not lost outside of any of that. But also the Bible says that whichever family you're in, you will exhibit a family likeness. So whichever family you're part of, you'll exhibit a likeness of that family. So let's have a quick look at the family of Adam. We're going to look at these two bits here. Then I'm going to read you a passage from the Bible. And then I'm going to finish by asking you one fairly simple question. So that's where we're going. So the family of Adam. When I was thinking about uh, this whole idea, in my mind, you know, you know the man on the toilet door? And, I, and by that I mean the, the man one, not the woman one, the man who kind of stands like that, who is you know, very square-shouldered. I had this kind of, in my mind, the picture I was looking at was a picture of the, that kind of black chap on a white background, but rather than being like that, it was kind of like that and a tear across his stomach. Do you know what, does that make sense? Maybe not, but that was what was in my mind, and I couldn't find that picture to show you. So that's what was in my mind. So Adam is the first broken man. Because 
Jesus, that broken man, who is he's definitely, you can clearly see that he's a man, but he's got a tear right through his stomach. That's why, in my mind, that's what I see when I see uh, that idea of Adam. So he was, the Bible tells us that he was made, he was perfect, he was put into the Garden of Eden, he was in charge of it. His job, given to him by God, was to tend the garden, look after it, create a wonderful world of people to live in. Look after the animals, look after the trees, eat what you like, don't eat from that tree. And that was it. He had a simple enough job to do that he could enjoy doing and that he would create an amazing world for people to live in. The problem was, the Bible tells us that Adam rejects God's good rule for his life. And that's where he gets broken. At the point where Adam rejects God and God's good rule for his life, he kind of cracks. At that point, things go wrong in his life. God says, if you eat of the the fruit of the tree then you will surely die. Um, And the serpent comes along and says, you won't die, you'll have a great time. So he eats of the fruit of the tree. And he doesn't die straight away, but as soon as he eats of it, everything inside him kind of goes wrong. He's scared of God, who he wasn't before. Um, And it's not as though God said, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to crush you and make your life miserable. As soon as Adam rejects God's good rule for his life, his life isn't as good as it used to be. The natural reaction to rejecting God is that our lives become more difficult because we're not living them out in the way that God created our lives to be lived out. So that's why Adam's the first broken man. And eventually he is separated from God. He's sent out of uh, the Garden of Eden. Him and Eva, you know, they kind of wander off and they have to live in a difficult world. No longer do they just kind of look around, they plant a carrot seed and a carrot grows. It says that by the sweat of his brow, he'll, he'll eat. So by hard work rather than enjoyable work, Uh, Adam will now eat. Uh, It's quite interesting, actually, to think that God created man to work. So some people think, I cannot wait until work is over in my life. I cannot wait for retirement. But God says, actually, work is a really good thing. Um, He created it for Adam, and he creates it for us too. But the problem is, Adam, this broken man, that's so you can remember the picture that I'm giving you, um, we're all, the Bible says, born in Adam. So because Adam is cracked and broken, Anybody born after him is also cracked and broken. If you can imagine, if you can imagine in your mind the toilet door man with a crack in his stomach, his children would be exactly the same but a little bit smaller. You know, they'd be like little babies with cracks in them um, and they would carry on like that. We all become broken people. We kind of inherit things, don't we, from our parents. It's been interesting seeing my dad for his birthday this weekend and thinking, I wish my dad didn't use those phrases because sometimes I use them, which actually I realise is the other way around, isn't it? I picked up some of his phrases, and they're awful. Um, and we realise, oh, I wish I wasn't turning into my parents. But that's just life, I'm afraid. We inherit things from our parents, but ultimately, from Adam, we inherit his brokenness. And the fact that he's cracked, we're cracked. And for Adam, the result of his rejection of God wasn't that just he'd have to work a bit harder to eat food. But God said to him, when you reject me, you will die. And it's because of Adam's rejection of God that death comes into the world. So it's like if you could imagine a family tree of Adam's family. You've got a man at the top who's the man off the toilet door with a crack through his stomach and all his kind of family carry on from that. But underneath it, there's just a little label and the label essentially reads death. It says that the Bible says all in Adam die because they've rejected God. And when it says die, it doesn't mean that they'll kind of die, be buried and they'll have a gravestone put over them. But it means that they'll they'll die and they'll be separated from God's love and God's goodness for all eternity. 
they'll be conscious, but they'll be outside of God's goodness and God's love, which the Bible describes as somewhere called hell. So it says, if you are in Adam, you will result in death, and you'll live forever in that place of hell, which is just not what God wants for people. But there is the second side of the story. And at this side, Jesus is the only unbroken man. So Jesus is like the man on the toilet door now, but he's not got a crack through his stomach. He's the man as he normally is on the toilet door. So every time you see a men's toilet door now with that man there with a circle for a head, square shoulders, you can think, Jesus. So Jesus is the only unbroken man. So Adam was the first man and he was broken. He rejected God's good rule and because of that he was broken and his life resulted in death. So Jesus was the only unbroken man. Let's just skip to the bottom for a second. So, so you've got Adam's family tree, which is broken man, broken family, and the label at the bottom reads death. Whereas Jesus, his family, is a bit smaller. It's Jesus, he's the man on the toilet door, and underneath that it just says life. Jesus is the perfect man. He was born, he was born without rejection of God. So we're all born into a state of rejection of God. That's disappeared. It'll come back. There it is. So Jesus was born in a state not of rejection, but of family intimacy of God. Not just obedience, not just doing what God wanted him to do, to do, but he was part of God's family. He loved God. God loved him. Jesus was in a place that Adam should have been. So Jesus is a bit like the second better Adam. So Adam was broken, and Jesus comes along as the unbroken second Adam to fix that. So Adam's family tree has the people that are cracked with the label of death. But Jesus' family tree is essentially Jesus and the label of life. So that's an all-in-Jesus family result in life, which, if that's all it is, it's pretty easy. It's just Jesus, and he's got the label of life for all eternity. Forever, Jesus will live with God in a place that is perfect and good, and God's love is experienced. But all of Adam's family keep cracked. And let me just... There's a difference between Adam's family and the Adam's family. Um, so all of Adam's family result in death. Jesus' family results in life. However, in the middle, I've got the bit there that says Jesus became broken so that he could mend others. I don't know about you, but I like to think that I'm reasonably handy at fixing things. Hannah has a very different opinion of that fact. Um, but, and so far, I don't think I've done it yet. I've not broken any of our kind of wedding presents that we got, like the crockery. But if you smash a plate, you can, you can normally just about find all the bits, can't you? And you can stick it back together, superglue it down the middle. My dad taught me that if you lick the ceramic first, put the superglue in, it sticks a lot better. But you've got to make sure that you've not put the superglue on first, or you end up with, like, tongue, like, tongue attached to half a plate, and it's really, really awkward for the rest of your life. But if you do that, if you kind of crack a plate in half, I'm not suggesting you should go and do this uh, at home, and you stick it back together, you'll always see that broken, the line where it was broken. It'll always be kind of a weak spot. And also, when you break ceramic stuff, you'll see the little tiny chips that you'll never find that occasionally get sucked up by the vacuum cleaner when you do the, the vacuuming, if you do the vacuuming. So you may stick it back together. There also may be a tiny little bit that you can see that's not there. When the Bible says that, or when we're looking at here, that Jesus became broken so that he could mend others, it's not as though Jesus superglues the man back together and you can see a seam. The idea is that what Jesus does, so you've got the two families, 
trying to think which way around I have them that way. So Adam's family is this side, and all the people in Adam's family are broken in some way, and they result in death. And Jesus over here on his family with his label of life. So what Jesus does, and this is what Easter is all about, is at the cross, Jesus becomes a broken man. At the cross, Jesus is taken, he's wrongly arrested and tried. He's then whipped and beaten, and he's, you know, he's literally a broken man at that point. He's got bones that are broken, his skin's all torn to pieces. So Jesus, who is the perfect unbroken man, is taken from this side where his label is life, and he's brought to the other side. He becomes a broken man, and he dies. Which is just not fair. Because Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. He's not rejected God. He doesn't deserve death. But he's taken from this side where he deserved life. And he's taken to this side. And he essentially takes on the label of death. Jesus goes into the grave. He dies. And a few days later, God brings him back to life. In a way that he's brought back. And he is pure. He's all healed. He's restored to the way that God kind of wants him to be. So what happens is Jesus kind of swaps families so that he goes from this family of life and unbrokenness, and he comes and takes on the death and the brokenness of Adam. But then when Jesus is brought back to life by God, he doesn't kind of end up stuck this side because he's swapped. But Jesus goes from this family, he dies at this side, and then he's raised back to life to have life forever with God. But in doing so, Jesus doesn't just kind of pop over and pop back like that. He comes over, he takes on the label of death, he dies the death that we all deserve because we've all rejected God, we're all broken people. And for those people who want to, they can swap families because Jesus has dealt with the label of death that everyone is born into. Because all these people are broken and Jesus became broken, those people have the option to be made perfect and whole. And not at the point where, you know, when you look at them you'll see the the crack across a plate or the tear in the man on the toilet door, but they're made, when God looks at them, to be as pure and as perfect and as full and as whole as Jesus is. And what they do is they can swap families by faith and trust in Jesus. They go from being in Adam's family of cracked and broken and resulting in death forever. They can swap families and they can be part of Jesus' family and they will be part of his family, not for 10 minutes or 50 years or you know, however long, but they'll be part of Jesus' family forever. And forever is a really long time, and it's a better place to be with Jesus than it is to be in death. And that swap just happens when people believe and trust in Jesus. So I'm going to read to you from uh, the book of Romans. If you've got a Bible, if you flick it open to Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read from verses 12 to verses 21. You can either flick your Bible open or you can press the buttons on your phone that make it appear like magic. If you've got a church Bible, it's on 1132. Okay, so it's... um, some, Some of it's a bit complicated, so I'll put some extra description in as we go through to hopefully make a bit more sense of it. So, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin, and in the same way, death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, 
sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. That was saying that Adam was like, a bit like Jesus who was going to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. That means being made right with God, being made whole. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the writer of Romans is saying, look, there are two big families. There's Adam's family, there's Jesus' family. What Jesus did can result in righteousness and perfect life with God. Or you can stay in the family that you're in. So my final question for you to, uh, yeah, for you to think about on your way home is this one. Which family will you be a part of? Will you be in Adam's family or will you be in Jesus' family? The swap happens when we believe and trust in Jesus. But also if you are, if you um, are a Christian and you're in Jesus' family, the challenge that the Bible gives us for those people is to look like we're part of that family, that we love one another as we love ourselves, to love God and to make a difference in this world. We heard last week when Ian was talking to us about the early church, the problem they had was the widows weren't getting enough food and God, it seems, has a special heart for widows and orphans in the Bible. And people in Jesus' family need to be making a difference for good in this world. So that's my question for you. Which family will you be a part of? And will you show the family likeness of the family that you're in? So let's pray, and then we'll sing again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is enough. That he is the one who is good and pure and holy and perfect. Father, we thank you that by uh, his act of righteousness, anybody and everybody can be made um, justified and pure and good in your sight like he is. Father, we thank you that Jesus has done all the work of saving people. We thank you that he has gone to the cross. He became that broken man so that all of us broken people can become like the, the true man that you want us to be, to become like Jesus. Father, I thank you that just by faith and trust, you will swap us from the family of Adam to the family of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to exhibit the family likeness of being in Jesus' family too. Help us to be people who love one another, who love you, 
and who love to make a difference in this world for good. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to love Jesus. You would help us to be like him and you would help us to be part of his family, to love one another and to love you more. Amen.